together. Proverbs chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even for the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Be steadfast by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquities atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil. For the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king. And he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. And a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face there is life. And his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. Let's pray. Great God, we bow before you now. You are indeed great and glorious. You are abounding in steadfast love and mercy. You are the God who provides. You are the God of righteousness and holiness. God, we thank you for your great name. We thank you that as your people we can come into your presence because you have made a way for us through Christ. And yet, Lord, knowing that uh, we are entering in your holy presence, we are made aware of our sinfulness. Father, forgive us for the sins of this past week. Forgive us for our arrogance, Lord. Uh, We know that an arrogance, an arrogant heart, is an abomination in your sight. So, Father, forgive us for our pride. God, forgive us for our judgmental and critical spirit of our neighbor. God, forgive us in terms of how we have not treated our neighbor with love and kindness and gentleness. But sometimes this past week, Lord, we have been harsh and we have been short and cold in our demeanor. God, forgive us for our lack of desire to to serve our neighbor um, with our strength. Forgive us for not serving the family as we should. And yet, God, we know that because of what Christ has done, as we confess our sins to you, we know that you who are faithful and just will forgive us of our many sins, God, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made peace through the blood of his cross. We who were once aliens, set far, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, alienated from God, you have given us hope in Christ. So, Lord, we thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus that has brought us into your kingdom to be your children. Dear God, we pray for those in our community who are hurting, We pray for our dear brother, Ken Tedder. We pray, God, that you would heal him, Lord. We pray that even now, Lord, that he would feel the the, the prayers uh, of your people. God, that you would strengthen his body, that he would be able to uh, undergo this chemo treatment. We pray for wisdom for him and for uh, Sandra to to figure out what's the best course of action to stay in Michigan or to return home. God, we pray that you would continue to be with them. We pray for for Janice and and Simeon as they're Uh, There with Jude, we pray, Lord God, that you would allow Jude to learn how to eat, God. So many things we take for granted, Lord. We pray that you would uh, give the doctors wisdom and give uh, Janice and Simeon patience, just trusting in your sovereign hand. 
Uh, Father, we pray for Miss Connie. We thank you so much for her, for her life and for her devotion to you. Uh, dear God, we know uh, our sister is hurting. So, Father, we pray that you would surround her with your kindness, Lord, knowing that when those who mourn, that you will comfort them. So, God, we pray your word over her now. We pray that you would fill her with your peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. We pray that you would guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus. Father, we now pray for our nation. Lord, you know the needs of our nation, God. We do need a revival. And as Wade said, Lord, a revival in the hearts of your people. So, God, we pray for our nation. We pray that our nation would be a nation that fears you, that honors you, God. Lord, there's so many things in our, in our country that seems to be moving away from your law. And yet, God, you have given your people freedom, Lord, Freedom to speak truth in love. So, Father, we pray that pastors and Christians all over this land today would preach your word with truth and love. That the people of God in America would be known for their gentleness, for their uh, graciousness, for the truth that comes out of their, their mouths, God. Father, we pray for the marriages all across our land. We pray that, that Christians would exemplify a godly marriages where a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, and a wife respects and honors her husband. Father, we pray that you would make a, a work, do a work in our nation by your spirit. Father, we pray for um, your gospel to be preached today, Lord. Uh, we pray that uh, you would move in pulpits all across uh, our county, Lord. Uh, we pray this morning specifically, God, for Joey Deese at Oakdale Baptist Church, God, we pray as he continues to herald your word there, that you would rest upon him and his congregation. And Father, now we ask that for this congregation, the people you've given me to shepherd. Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit in power to, to, to rest your word upon our hearts. God, we all come with different thoughts and attitudes when we approach the, even hear the word politics. So God, we pray that our hearts would be laid bare before you, and that we would receive your word uh, to, to know how we should live and engage with our world. Uh, Father, your word is truth. So we want your word to be declared, God. So, Father, I pray that as I preach, that you would announce your word through the Holy Spirit, that you would do only what you can do, that you would grow your people, that you would transfer, transfer us from one degree of glory to the next, conforming this people, the people of Park Baptist Church, into the image of your Son. So, God, we pray that you would take all the glory this day. And from this message, we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Uh, Groucho Marx defines politics as, I quote, the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere, diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedies. Ronald Reagan says, it has been said that politics is the second oldest profession. I have learned that it bears a striking resemblance to the first. Aesop's, who wrote Aesop's fable, says, We hang the petty thieves and anoint and appoint the great ones to public office. And the ever-witty Mark Twain, Suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. Well, regardless of one's view of politics, throughout the ages, people have always viewed politics in a negative fashion. Politics is indeed a very dirty business. It is like entering a coal mine in a white suit. It's impossible to leave clean. 
politics create a deep passion and yet utter frustration. Christians vary in their view of politics. Some evangelicals have become so disgusted with the political process that they have withdrawn from it entirely. And yet while others are so devoted to partisan politics that it appears to have overtaken their allegiance to the Lord Christ. Christians can easily err on both sides of the line. As Martin Luther says, the world is like a drunken peasant. If you lift him into the saddle on one side, he will fall off again on the other. So how do we avoid, as Christians, not to be like drunken peasants? To, to avoid falling on the side of complete withdrawing from politics, first being completely immersed in partisan politics. How should Christians view politics or our political leaders? What is the role of government or its citizens? Should we place any hope at all in our political system? Well, in America, you can't avoid politics. It's everywhere. We're coming into an election cycle. Did you guys know that? Yes, everybody right now is painfully aware that the election process for president is now beginning. You know, these questions of how Christians should engage in politics have been debated for centuries. Now, politics have always uh, played a significant role in the health, whether for good or for ill, of a nation. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs so that his readers would, I quote Psalm 1, 2, and 3, know wisdom and instruction to understand the words of insight and to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. One of the key arenas in which Solomon addresses his people is the arena of politics. Some scholars believe that Proverbs were actually written, a collection of thoughts that he gave to young men who he was training to be his leaders in the government. Politics are kind of weaved throughout this book, often seen in the king or ruler's in general. So as we struggle to process our role as Christians within our pluralistic society, I, 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 if I was going to ask that question, which of you engaged in a political conversation this past week, I would bet that most everyone would raise their hands as you engage in some way in this idea of, of politics. The question is how? How should we as Christians in 21st century America engage in the political system? Well, I think Proverbs has many truths that we can glean from to learn how we can live in the messy world of politics. If you have your outline, flip on the back of your bulletin, you'll see the points for this morning. But first, we see the wisdom of political separation. The wisdom of political separation. Christians are citizens in two kingdoms. We are citizens primarily in the kingdom of heaven, and yet we are also citizens of the kingdom of earth here in America. But our primary citizenship, again, is that of heaven. For God's kingdom is not of this world. We have to be very careful not to make our strongest allegiance that of our citizenship to our earthly nation. We are fundamentally aliens and strangers, foreigners in this land. For our home is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I think one of the dangers that's happened to our nation is that people have become so comfortable being Americans 
They have forgot their primary allegiance to the Lord Christ as citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the King of Kings, and his home is heaven. We are but living in a foreign land. So when I say separation, here's what I mean. First, the separation of church and state. The separation of church and state. In 1802, Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Baptist in Danbury, Connecticut, introducing this concept of separation of church and state into our political lexicon. I think what it means now is not meant how it originally was intended back in the 1800s. This is what Jefferson wrote to these Baptists, our forefathers. Believing with you, I quote, that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or for his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people, which declare that their legislator should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. That's where the first idea kind of got thrust onto the scene. Now, if you read the whole context there, what Jefferson is trying to get at is that the government can't force people to do anything against their conscience. The government should never force people to worship anyone other than man and his God. That is it. We have freedom of conscience. We have the freedom to freely express our worship. So this idea of separation of church and state has been misunderstood in our day to mean a religion-free public square. Jefferson never meant to limit the conversation, pushing those who had faith outside of, of, of the discourse. It just said that the government can't mandate people to believe certain things. Christians should rightly desire a separation of church and state as it was originally introduced into our country. We should fight for the government to be limited as not to infringe on the conscience of believers. The second way of separation is separation for the gospel. And I think this is a very important point for our day. The church should never wed itself to a political party. Our primary mission should never be to elect someone from a certain political party into office. For our mission, the mission of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is far more important than any political activism. The mission of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is far more important than any political activism we can participate in. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel. Our king, who has called us into his kingdom, which is not of this world, has given us a task to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. The only saving message of the world is not through politics but it's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. If people do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will perish for all eternity in hell. Therefore, we must not ever waver on our primary task of proclaiming the gospel. That's a key word, isn't it? Primary. Our primary task must always be the proclamation of the gospel. If we extend 
a hope to anybody outside of the hope found in Jesus Christ, we are moving ourselves away from the Scriptures. We are putting people in danger of eternal fire. The hope is not in a a, a political party. The hope is not in political activism. The hope is not in living a good life. The hope is not in having good church attendance and not even growing in your knowledge of God. The hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only hope for all eternity. So if we give people hope in anything other than that, we deviate, we, we move away from what God has revealed in His Holy Scriptures. Separation for the sake of the gospel. The second thing we see here is the wisdom of political suitability. The wisdom of political suitability. So what is the purpose uh, or of government according to the Proverbs? Go back to Proverbs 16. Solomon believes kings and or political rulers. We don't have a king. No comment. Well, we, we don't have a king right now. We have a political leader. Uh, and they, their, their goal should be to enforce justice. Thus, a suitable government does two things. It promotes justice and it punishes evil. Look at Proverbs 16, 10 through 15. It's the longest section in the book of Proverbs that specifically addresses the role of a king. Now remember, who's writing this? Solomon. Solomon is a king himself. Not only is he a king, but he is the son of the king, King David. Listen to what he says, the role of the king or the political ruler. Verse 10 of chapter 16. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and the scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil. For the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king. And he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death and a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face there is life. And his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. Kings of the old understood they lived under the rule and the reign of the Lord. Kings were to administer justice in the land. That is why it says here in the Proverbs that it is an abomination for kings to do evil. And I say do evil, I say it is is an abomination for kings to promote evil. The very purpose was to order a society that praises those who do good, that reward positive godly behavior and punish those who do evil. And if you read First and Second Kings, this is how a, a, a king's rule was d- defined. We often talk about the legacies of our political leaders. What is their legacy? What are they going to be known by? Well, according to God, who is the ultimate judge, who writes the ultimate history book, says in his word, First and Second Kings, that they're defined by either doing what is pleasing, what is right in the eyes of the Lord, or what is evil in the sight of God. That's it. They are defined by how they lived for the Lord. And you know, Peter echoes the same sentiment to Solomon, which we read during our scripture reading. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or governor as sent by him. Why? Why do these emperors or governors, why do they exist? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That is the role of government. 
to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Paul echoes the same sentiment in Romans 13 of why we should obey earthly leaders. He says, for rulers are not a tear to to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you receive his approval. For he is God's servant for purpose, for your good. Rulers are placed in authority by God to bring about justice. And that is not the world's idea of justice. That is God's definition of that which is just. When a government does not punish evil or praise righteousness, it has forgotten its main purpose from the Lord. The third thing we see here is the wisdom of political servants. So we have the, what a government's for. So when we have a government's for, that should shape who we should want to be our political servants. You know, in a democratic republic, as America is, we have the responsibility to elect representatives to help fulfill God's mandate for justice. What should we look for in a political servant? Well, I think first we should look for servants. You know, we, we call the, our, our leaders public servants today. You know, they're supposed to be public servants and not self-servants, which is often the case in our day. So we should work to elect servants of the people who serve in these ways. One, serve in humility. Serve in humility. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You see that even in, in, in that opening scripture I read, Proverbs 16, it says an arrogant heart is an abomination to the Lord. If we can just stop and take our minds off of politics for a second, do you have an arrogant heart? Are you full of pride? Well, God hates the proud heart. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. God's word says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Kings serve... Kings and rulers serve because God has placed them in that position. And if a a political leader comes to the understanding that they have the right to do whatever they want to do, they have forgot that the reason why they stand or sit in the position of power is because God has allowed them to be there. Uh, We see this example, I think, epitomized in Nebuchadnezzar's life in Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar was ruler over all Babylon. He served for himself and thought the power of the kingdom, the great, mighty, powerful Babylon, was because of his great work. He was on the roof of the royal palace one day, looking over his kingdom, and he said, Is not this the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. 
Nebuchadnezzar lost his power, his palace, and his position like that. He was determined to go live with the beasts of the field. Why? Because he thought that he was the, the reason for his power. But at the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar was restored. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. He was moved to praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Beloved, we need to choose leaders who understand that all God's ways are right and that God has the, the power to humble the proud in heart. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is the stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. We also want a king, not only serve a ruler, to serve not only in humility, but to serve in wisdom and justice. You know, we, we've talked about this pretty much every sermon. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Rulers govern with wisdom, are, are given wisdom to, to govern justly. Proverbs eight twelve and fifteen. I wisdom dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and noblers and nobles, all who govern justly. The state should not rule the church, and the church should not rule the state, but that does not mean that God's wisdom do not apply to how the state should be governed. The best governments are those who seek God's wisdom to rule. Proverbs twenty twenty six. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. A wise king understands his role is to punish the wicked and promote justice. Proverbs 20, 28. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. The king defines righteousness and love by the commandments of the Lord. A king's throne is upheld by the steadfast love to the Lord. Now, we've all seen political leaders in our day that have not lived under the authority of God's word. And those who have not lived in it and for righteousness cause grief among the people. Listen to what God's word says, Proverbs 11:10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Proverbs 28, 28. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. And Proverbs 29, 2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. The joy and sorrow of a nation can be traced oftentimes to its leaders. If a, leader's, if a leader is honorable, they will lead in justice. And the people will rejoice. If leaders are dishonorable, they will extend grief and sadness to the people. So we should care about the kind of leaders we elect to serve our nation. Well, the fourth point, the wisdom of political struggle. The wisdom of political struggle. Many evangelicals think it is best for us to retreat from the public square 
We've seen this happen before. To ignore the political partisanship that dominates the national discourse. It's just easier not to participate. Let's just step back and, and get out of the conversation. They rightly believe that the Great Commission is our number one priority. Yet I, I would say they wrongly apply that belief by retreating from politics. We are called to struggle for justice. We have an obligation to speak the truth in love. We have an obligation to command people to repent and to believe in the Lord and to live a life that honors Him. We are called to struggle. We are called to struggle for wisdom with fools. We are called to struggle for wisdom with fools. And we see Solomon pleading with his readers throughout this book to pursue wisdom over folly. Now, Lady Folly calls aloud and are leading people to ruin and destruction. We have a battle against Lady Folly to be those who call aloud with wisdom. If we love our neighbors, we should want them to flourish and to prosper in our world. And the best way to flourish and to prosper is by obeying God's word. So we struggle with those who are our political leaders to fight for wisdom over folly. We believe God's way, God's way will ultimately be better for everybody in our nation. If we love our neighbors, I would say we should engage in the political discourse. The spirit of the age wants us all to coexist. I'm sure you've seen the, the bumper sticker, right, that says coexist. If you have this on your car, don't be offended. You probably will be, but don't be. You know, they all, the letters of coexist all form um, different faiths. Judaism, Islam, Christianity. Well, Bruce Watke, scholar, comments that those who use these bumper stickers are, I quote, dangerously naive or subtly wicked. Islam cannot coexist with Judaism. Judaism and Islam cannot coexist with Christianity. Judaism and Islam are enemies of the cross of Christ. They do not believe the gospel. They, they say there's a way to paradise outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is man's only hope for salvation, it is wicked to offer hope in anything else. It is naive to believe that the cross can be compatible with any other religion. Jesus Christ says himself, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The spirit of the age says, be tolerant of everything. We can be tolerant in a historical sense and agree to disagree with love and with, with grace and gentleness, but I cannot accept your ideology. Because if I accept your ideology, I, I, I deny the cross. They can't coexist. It's a, it's a folly. We cannot accept false ideology. Because it abandons the gospel. We're in a real battle with foolishness. We have to struggle for wisdom. The wisdom of the cross in a world of folly. But we also struggle for the, per the preservation for morality. And we have to struggle to preserve godly morality. You know, Jesus called Christians to be the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are called as Christians to slow 
the moral decay of our country. Our country is slowly decaying. It's perishing because they're moving away from God's truth. So as, as, as Christians, we want to preserve them. So when we live righteous and godly lives, we are drawing people to live in a way that is more moral, in a way that honors God, which benefits all of society. We, are not, we cannot retreat to the shadows, but we have to continue to be heralds of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We always have to herald the gospel. We know that God will, Romans 2, 6-8, render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. See, Christians, we know the end of the story. We know that if you don't honor God and you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ and you live in, in not obeying the truth, but denying the truth, well, there is going to be wrath and fury from God's hand. That's why the king is designed to punish evil. Because the king punishes evil as a reflection of the true king of kings who's going to ultimately come and punish all evil. We know judgment is coming, so we must speak. We do not have the option to be silent. But yet, I think we we are called to, to struggle for engagement. Struggle for engagement. You know, it's interesting. I'm preaching through uh, the book of Proverbs and kind of coming to different themes. And I love, I love, I love the Word and I love how, preaching the Word. It's a challenge every time you, you open it up and, and look at different things. But sometimes you, you, look for, you see a theme and you're like, man, I don't want to preach that. <laughs> I don't want to necessarily preach on politics. Why? Because I know the people are going to walk in the door, they're going to see that, they go, oh. There's people who are going to grimace when they see that. Oh, really? He's, he's not going to do that. Right, well, here's the, here's the reason why I think that we have to continue to struggle to be engaged um, for the sake of our world. Non-involvement, non-involvement in the political process in some way, right? We can talk about degrees, but non-involvement is a vote for the wicked. Non-involvement in the political process is saying, have at it. We don't care. And if the the church doesn't care about our country, about our nation, about laws, you know who's going to? Those who believe in folly. And it's going to affect you, it's going to affect your children, it's going to affect your grandchildren. If Christians are silent, they allow the wicked to rule. A non-vote is still a vote. And God will still hold you accountable if you are not involved. Listen to Proverbs 24. Actually, I want you to turn there. Turn to Proverbs 24. I want you to see this. I think this is really important. Proverbs 24.10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I would say that for the believers in America, we're in a day of adversity. What are we going to do? Listen to verse 11. The challenge. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. For if you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? 
And will he not repay man according to his work? The silence of the church is a great tragedy. While the innocent unborn children are being led to the slaughter. The silence of the church is a tragedy for those who are deceived in their sexual immorality that will exclude them from inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, we must open our eyes and continue to struggle for wisdom. We have to engage. We have to engage in the political process. Lastly, we struggle for honor. We want to struggle for honor. We may dislike our leaders, but we continue to walk, we must continue to walk in respect and humility. Now, I don't love a lot of the current policies that are happening from our president and his administration. But that gives me or you no right to malign him as a man. Proverbs 24, 21. So you're still in chapter 24. If you're there, just look at verse 21. Probably something we need to hear in our day. My son, fear the Lord and the king. And do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly from them. And who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2.17. Fear the Lord. Honor, honor everybody. Love the brethren. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In the early church, Nero was far worse than the, the leaders of our day. Trust me. The kind of whore that man committed. Acts against God's people and against his own people. And yet, the apostle Peter says, honor One of the ways we honor is, is pray for him. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. First of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So let me just say this generally. Don't be that person who maligns our leaders. Talk politics, but don't speak negatively about a man that you're not willing to pray for. God has commanded you to pray for him. And he's told you not to speak negatively about him. Be wary of the tongue. There's the power of life and death. Let me close with this last point. The wisdom of a political savior. The wisdom of a political savior. Proverbs 29, 26. It's a great verse. It says, many seek the face of a ruler. And I think what Solomon means is that many people come to the ruler to solve their problems, to, to fix their answers. Many seek the face of the ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. God will ultimately be the one to establish true and lasting justice. We should engage in the political process. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to do so. We should work for God's justice to, to reign with wisdom and govern justly in our nation. But we should never put our hope in government. Our hope should always be in God. Because God has promised in the birth of His Son that He will rightly establish His government. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. A verse not only good for Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. To us a child is born, to us a son is given 
and on him the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom in his first coming. And he will fully establish it in a second. Beloved, the kingdom of God is already here. But it's not yet been fully realized. Beloved, we were once under the domain of darkness. Under the rule of the prince of the power of the air. We were sinners in rebellion against God. We did not fear or keep his commandments. And when we were there, we were destined for God's wrath. And yet... In God's loving kindness, he sent the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ came to pay the price for our foolishness. He perfectly lived in fear of God, walked in wisdom, and yet was punished with the cruel death of a sinner, cursed by God outside the camp. He was dead and buried, but God raised him from the dead. His resurrection validated his kingship. It shows that this Son, who died and rose again, he is the true king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus has begun the kingdom of God. And one day, beloved, one day he will fully establish it. Every earthly kingdom will one day perish. The reason why we can't have hope in America as a nation, because one day America will end. God has promised. There's only one kingdom that will last forever. God has given us a kingdom that will never be shaken. One day God is going to return and it says that he's going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens as well. And he's going to remove all the things that are shaken. And we say, praise be to God for you have given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So our world, America, may have politics that go like this. But I am confident that my God will establish his kingdom forever. That's my hope. My hope is not that I'm a citizen of this great nation. My hope is I am a citizen of the greatest everlasting nation of all time. The nation of the kingdom of God. Beloved, please, I plead with you. Do not put your hope in this place. We only have one ultimate political savior. His name is Jesus. And he's coming again. And he will rightly establish his justice and his kingdom now and for all time. I pray that we would trust him as our only hope. Let's pray.